Today we begin a series on Jack the Ripper. In part one, we'll learn about the East End of London in the mid-19th century. From boarding houses to brothels to crime-riddled streets, the setting proved the perfect location for a criminal, specifically a murderer, to get away with their acts. Today, we'll look at a few murders in this area and begin to explore the canonical five killings. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought Jack the Ripper was the nickname Ian gave his left hand while jerking off to the Trashy Boners subreddit, stick around. It is, but this episode is about the other guy. This is Necronomapod. In the 17th century, the East End was still a series of separate, semi-rural settlements. There was a shortage of accommodation, so marshland was drained and built on to house the large numbers of people now living there. By the 19th century, London was the busiest port in the world, and this became the main source of employment in the East End. Those who could afford to live in more pleasant surroundings moved out, and the area became one where the vast majority of people lived in extreme poverty and suffered from appalling sanitary conditions. Houses were crowded closely together and usually very badly built because there was no regulation. But the poor and needy were attracted by the possibility of work. Ian, how you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, back to normal. Welcome back. You were a little under the weather last week. I was. Ate a a bunch of soup. Feel better. Better than sponges, I guess. (laughs) It is better than sponges. More nutritious. I think our non-patrons won't necessarily know that story, but more reason to get on Patreon.com, I guess. (laughs) To hear all about me eating sponges. Yeah. But you're feeling better? Yeah. Good? Yeah, feeling good. Our listeners will be happy. Uh, you know, they were livid that we didn't do a show for them last week, the needy fuckers. I believe the exact <laughs> quote was, I don't give a shit if you're sick, Ian. Give me a show, you bitch. I heard that from multiple people. Yeah. yeah. I think one of our listeners even got that tattooed on their back. Just give me a show, you sick bitch. Something like that. I don't know. Uh, but no, we gave them... Uh, what was it? The Casablanca Entities? Yeah. That was wild. I, I Honest to show. God, don't remember anything about that one other than it was like all the kids and they were like on top of the houses and seeing all this shit for like, what, 20 minutes after school or something walking home? Yeah. It got way off the rails. Mm-hmm. That and then that either you and Dave want to get that tattoo of like the drawing of the... Dave. Dave. I'm well, Ian, it. let's be honest. You would get it too, probably. Oh, yeah. Why not? He'd get it on his forehead. If he, <laughs> well, I don't give a fuck. I mean, that could be like your neck tattoo one day, like just like his little head, like sticking up over like, your shirt collar, and then like all of his little tentacles go down, there like you, you know, you can do that. And that show also had the clitsdon'texist.com ad, uh, yeah, from way back when. And sadly enough, when that original bonus show aired, I did register the domain and I had like a cartoon character with a micro with a magnifying glass looking for the clit and that's all and it redirected to necronomapod.com but the uh, domain expired a couple weeks ago and uh, sadly did not re-register it so maybe we ought to rebuy the the domain name and then just start selling shirts clitsdonexist.com and then when you go to it it redirects you to our like website it's not a bad idea I'm sure a lot of people coming soon to Amazon if you're overseas sorry (laughs) Yeah, we had a few people, I think, bummed out. They went to clitstoneexist.com. Mm-hmm. Just like, a year hey, too late on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It was up for a whole year. Clitstoneexist.com with a magnifying glass. Oh, that was a year ago? <laughs> yeah. God damn. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it was like June 20th or something. Yeah, so wow. sorry, you guys, that were looking for the clit documentation. I know you couldn't find it, so I apologize. Well, nobody can find it, Dave. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> it's like Australia. Yeah. <laughs> 
government wants you to believe it's there, but it's not. I'm on to it. So anyways, um, what the hell was our last show? Missing 411. Yeah. Part do, as they say in other countries. <laughs> now we're back on the killing spree. Spoiler alert, Ian initially told us this was going to be two parts, and then before he even gave us the first outline, I was like, hey, just saying, this will be at least three. By the way. <laughs> so I know I think, this won't entirely shock you, but. <laughs> I, I think he's going to try to beat his Epstein record of five. Ooh, at this six point. Six-parter? Like, it's like his own little Guinness World Records. He's like, how many parts can I make this one? <laughs> so, uh, Jack the Ripper's been a long time coming. Yeah, and this is one that I really, I honestly didn't know a ton about that's why i didn't know how many parts it was going to be and then when i really started digging into it and when i saw the like the amount of information on suspects Mm -hmm. i'm like oh this is this is three parts for sure it's one of those that everyone's familiar with and everyone think they knows the story but there's a lot more yeah that you don't know right wasn't it uh necronomopod hall of famer hh holmes a suspect uh that was his son or what was hh holmes's like great great grandson something somebody wrote the book suspected it might have been him because yeah. some of the timelines when he was in europe or when he was in england lineup but it's largely nonsense and okay. just like a money grab to sell books oh i see but then wasn't it then the cleveland torso murderer that was tied to it at one point or they had made a someone had like suspected that it could have been that's been? a legitimate theory okay. that people have so I two think. Necronomopod Hall of Famers. Or no, no, that's not. Or, There's 50 years apart between those. Yeah. Two. No. Oh, is there? The the Cleveland Torso one. The Black just, Dahlia. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. They suspected that might have been the same person. Well, 50 years apart. You can kill in your 20s and in your 70s. Well, sure, but. Different countries. I plan too. on slaying well into my 80s. <laughs> in different countries. Of course. You think Jack the Ripper was uh, retired to Cleveland? Like, I'm going to kill some more people. <laughs> Where are you retiring to? <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Hell yeah, bro. Beautiful brother. location. <laughs> they come here for the climate or the temperate winters. Yeah. It's lovely on the lake in January. It's gorgeous. Starting off with some background leading to the murders, Whitechapel was one of a total of 11 suburbs that made up the east end of London. By the late 16th century, Whitechapel and these other suburbs were starting to be considered the, quote, other half of London. By 1840, Whitechapel and these other suburbs had become plagued by poverty, disease, crime, and significantly overcrowded. A lot of the overcrowding was due to Jewish and Irish immigration, with Jewish people fleeing areas of Russia and Eastern Europe due to the historical anti-Semitism that has played out in society around the world. And Jewish immigrants would often take jobs for less money, which resulted in extreme anti-Semitism in these suburb areas. And that's actually could be a whole episode in itself. The history of Jewish people moving to London and like how they were segregated to certain areas and like the inner workings of all that stuff. Mm. Like that, you could do a whole episode on that. That would be interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Please don't ask me to do a history show. <laughs> I'm on vacation. That'll be your next, be your next one. <laughs> Mike, your next assignment? <laughs> when it came to Whitechapel, Whitechapel Road itself wasn't necessarily the worst, but it was the streets and alleys that branched off from it, specifically Dorset Street, Thrall Street, Burner Street, and Wentworth Street. Dorset Street has been called, quote, 
the worst street in London, and later in the story, it'll be the scene of one of Jack the Ripper's murders. By 1880, most of Dorset Street was made up of common lodging houses, with many of those actually being brothels. You know what a brothel is, Mike? I'm sure you do. I do. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving on. That's all. Just making sure. Well, I mean, a guy gets as much trim as you obviously used to in college. I just, you know, that's something you need to pay for. I'm never, just making I've, sure you knew what a brothel I've was. never been to a brothel. I <laughs> look down upon those people. You know, the ones who pay for it. Sure. Not the ladies making money. But come on, man. Have some game. Go to a bar. Talk to a chick. <laughs> so getting to the... <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're trying to make something out of Dave's question. Asked and answered. It was a leading question, I admit. <laughs> Getting to these common lodging houses, by law, these houses had to be licensed and were supposed to be supervised by police. Each one had to display a sign showing the number of beds it was licensed for. Bedding had to be changed weekly, and the windows had to be opened daily at 10 a.m. to make sure that the rooms were well ventilated. Imagine they had to have a law that said the windows at a brothel had to be open at 10 a.m. to ventilate it. Also, is that every day? Because, like, it's pretty damn cold. That's true. It seemed like every day. I mean, there was a lot of so this fucking house going around. They're living like the the Ramsey family in Colorado with all those broken windows. <laughs> fucking dipshit dad breaking the windows in. What does the brothel smell like at nine thirty before they get the windows open? I think G Unit wrote a song about that. Oh, I yeah. smell pussy. <laughs> I do. Is that you, Jack the Ripper? I smell pussy. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other thing though? <laughs> they had to uh bedding had to be changed weekly. Yeah, weekly. weekly. Great. What are you lying in? <sighs> if you're on that sixth night, gross. I smell pussy. <laughs> now I'm gonna have that stupid uh <laughs> I've had it in my head all day long after I wrote that little note here in my outline. Oh boy. I'm gonna have to have that I'm gonna have that stupid jingle in my head now all night where they do the G unit and they stutter the G. G unit Remember Chappelle when he do the wife swap or the family swap one? He's got that white kid and the white kid does the G unit thing. I have seen that before. It's been so long. That was hilarious. I forgot all about that. He drives him to the neighborhood and he's like, This is like the get get your ass out of the car. Because these weren't technic, like on the outside, weren't supposed to be brothels, they did have men and women's dormitories, and they were supposed to be separate. And rooms for married couples were meant to be completely separate from the men's and women's dorms. Every lodging house had a communal kitchen where lodgers would gather and cook whatever food that they had managed to buy, beg for, steal, or scavenge throughout the day. Sounds great. Yeah, and in a bit here, we'll get to how many people actually lived in these at a time. So one kitchen. Mm. Most of the lodging houses were owned by entrepreneurs and investors who lived well outside the area. And oh, tr- you don't say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they trusted the day-to-day to men that were known as wardens or keepers. I believe slumlord is the proper term. Slumlords. That's the Slum- appropriate. That's the yeah. PC term. <laughs> slumlord. That's what it says in court documents. <laughs> Many of these guys had criminal backgrounds. 
um, and would turn a blind eye to illegal activity and specifically prostitution. And a lot of times these guys would get a cut of the money. This is a quote from an anonymous person who was living in one of the common lodging houses on Thrall Street. They wrote this to the Daily Telegraph on September 21st, 1888. The population is of such a class that robberies and scenes of violence are of common occurrence. It is a risk for any respectable person to venture down the turning even in the open day. Thieves, loose women, and bad characters abound, and although the police are not subject, perhaps to quite the same dangers as they were a few years ago, there is still reason to believe that a constable will avoid, as far as he can, this part of his beat, unless accompanied by a brother officer. There are no less than 146 registered lodging houses, with a number of beds exceeding 6,000. Of these, 1,150 are in Flower and Dean Street alone, and nearly 700 in Dorset Street. Some of the houses contain as few as four beds, whilst others have as many as 350. At a few of these, men only are received, and at others, women only. But in the majority, they are what are known as double-dos beds. There is little room to doubt the truth of the assertion that when these double beds are let, no questions are asked, and the door is open for the most frightful immorality. Sounds like a terrific place to raise a family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good luck piecing that together, Ian, of all my fuck-ups. You probably could just leave it all as one thing. Let people see my blunders, because that was fucking hard to read. I thought about doing the accent, and then I was like, no, this is going to be difficult enough to get through. So, like, some of those places, like I said, had as few as four beds in them with all those people just jammed in there. Awful. And just not to mention the filth, yeah, like, of the whole city, or that part of town anyway, in Victorian London, where, you know. The shit and whatever else was just being flung out the back window and the streets were shit and the, you know, the raw sewage in the streets. And like, there's a whole story about the guy that figured out how cholera was being spread in London through the water supply because it was so close to the sewage. And it's just disgusting. Like, what a horrible time to be alive. Man, it's like Flint, Michigan. <laughs> well, <laughs> these, these problems still remain. Sure. But as someone with a weak stomach, like like I can barely pick up my dog's poo just to live in such filth. Like I would not be able to hack it. I would just. Yeah. You would be hacking. I would. I'm just. Stop. just what an and then awful, everyone, everyone sharing the room with you would be like, oh, look at this yeah, fucking guy. Just what an awful existence. You know, I mean, it just it helps to paint the picture of the, you know. Yeah. The, the scene here at the time. Well, this is Skid Row in the United States, you know, in Los yeah. Angeles and all that. And these those rooming houses and all that. Well, this other part in here that he talks about, uh, this anonymous person talks about police avoiding areas. That was the case with a lot of this was that police would not go to some of these streets unless they had four, six, you know, other mm-hmm. officers right. with them because it's just straight up dangerous, even for them. Yeah, lawless area. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Terrible. So, with that knowledge, I mean, the. Jack the Ripper was operating at will without any real fear of being caught. Yeah, this is like his only threat was other criminals. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you know, might see him and then they fight each other. Not Ian's left hand, Jack the Ripper, like the murderer, <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Obviously, because the left hand operates without any fear of getting caught either. I had to do one of those, like hold my nose <laughs> to get through that without laughing. <laughs> Trashy boners. <laughs> For some time, two groups, the Social Purists and the National Vigilance Association, worked together to bring about 
what they saw as a social reform in these areas. Together, they got the Parliament to pass the Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1885. The two main focuses of this act was to change the age of consent from 13 to 16 years old and to criminalize male homosexuality. The act also intended to shut down brothels, and when these women were forced to solicit in the streets, the act relied on the police to arrest these women. They tried to pass that act in Alabama last year. It did not pass. Oh, yeah? It raised the age from 13 to 16. <laughs> it did not pass. I don't know. <laughs> Is this, a, is a, this joke. a joke? Okay. A joke. I never know. <laughs> Although not far off from the truth, which makes it even funnier. Also trying to criminalize homosexuality. Did you know DNA evidence is not admissible in court in Alabama? It's all the same anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, God. So it's Alabama is, is the, this week's shit on me state yeah, i think so Why we not? picked on arkansas sure. we picked on west virginia we picked yeah. on kentucky we picked alabama on iowa today. yeah alabama all right you're in our crosshire <laughs> crosshairs crosshairs not crosshairs. crosshairs i love peeking his interest over there he's like he's like oh i wonder why dna evidence isn't uh, acceptable <laughs> in alabama I know, but sometimes i feel really bad because like he's so interested and then you just like crush his spirit <laughs> you're fucking i jokes. never know what's a joke and what's serious <laughs> So I just wait till someone else starts laughing or something. Welcome to my world when you guys make movie references. I couldn't wait to go see Ivan and then. <laughs> damn, that sounded good. One thing to point out before we move forward. This wasn't like all women who were sex workers worked in brothels. It, it was much more dangerous to work in the streets. But many of these women did because there was way more money to be made and they didn't have to answer to whoever was running the brothel. A lot more dangerous, though. Significantly more dangerous. Yeah. Trade-off, though. Sure. And there was also a lot of the jobs, too, were um, sweatshop jobs. It was really the only thing you could get. And it was brutal. It's work. all terrible. Yeah, all brutal of it. work. So, I mean, the trade-off, it's like, okay, I could go work in a brothel or I could go work in a sweatshop. Mm-hmm. Or I could go work the streets and make more than double that money. Yeah. It's probably pretty fucking dangerous to work in a sweatshop, too, I would imagine. I mean, either way, you're abusing your body and, you are you know, people didn't live that long right. generally back in those days. I think I would be taking the route of working the streets, make more money. Yeah. Do your own thing. Yeah, Pick your own hours. Fuck yeah. If it was suspected that a house was being used as a brothel, it would be reported to the local parish vestry, who would in turn instruct the police to keep the house under surveillance. But when Sir Charles Warren became the police commissioner, he decided that since watching known brothels was not officially part of their duty, they weren't going to do it anymore. Warren thought that having the police watch these houses was a waste of time and resources because prostitution itself wasn't a crime, only soliciting was police would have to go after the brothel owners who would just move to a new location if they got word that they were being watched it's an interesting bit of nuance there only soliciting was the crime not the actual act right hmm. makes it like we're gonna get into here it makes it extremely difficult to prove that a woman was soliciting yeah so instead of tarnishing the reputation as police officers and bringing charges that would be dismissed, police only arrested these women when it was absolutely necessary. 
On June 28, 1887, Elizabeth Cass, who worked as a dress designer, went out late that evening to buy a pair of gloves. She was arrested and charged with solicitation, with the arresting officer saying that no respectable woman would be out after 9 p.m. That's still true today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, of course. In Alabama? Well, in everywhere. <laughs> Women should be home making dinner. They shouldn't be out I'm gallivanting after 9 o'clock at night. I mean, seriously, come on. Never going to get some of those misogynist <laughs> reviews. At least now I won't feel like it's about me and my college nicknames. I can pin it on someone else for once. What do you have to do out there after nine o'clock? Nothing. Stay home. <laughs> Nothing but trouble to be found. Exactly after 9 right. PM is what I was always told. Stay home and read your Bible. That's what we all do. right? Talk to the Lord, ladies. Elizabeth was found innocent and the charges were thrown out which was a huge embarrassment for the police because the media ran wild with this story. Like all the newspapers in in London just blasted the police over this. And this is another thing that this case could be a whole episode in itself. Like I'm really paraphrasing this case, like the whole issue with this. There's just so much to it. Yeah. Yeah. Sir Charles Warren then issued an order prohibiting his officers from arresting sex workers unless there was bulletproof evidence because he's like, we are not going to have our, this isn't happening to me. Yeah, We look like a-holes. Yeah. You sure you don't want to revamp this and do like 15 parts on this? Like parts one, one, <laughs> one, two, and three Victorian England at, at London part one, 1850 to 1862 to get a good backdrop of the historical accuracy you know do all that and i might get on it i hear people turning off their (laughs) (laughs) closing their force quitting their podcast apps right now yeah for those of you still with us (laughs) tribe is up four to three top of the seven (laughs) so at this point it was safer for the police to just ignore sex workers so they didn't risk looking bad this made women feel pretty much invincible from the law when working the streets were concerned and there were no reason to work for brothels anymore because if they could work for themselves on the street for more money and they're not going to get arrested what's the sense in working at a brothel and by 1888 the east end was flooded with sex workers to the point where according to you know historical accounts and things you couldn't walk anywhere without being solicited by multiple women multiple times like you just couldn't walk anywhere kind of like your college experience mike right I couldn't leave my room unless I had security clear path to my (laughs) class that I the weekly class I would attend. (laughs) Volleyball. Yeah. That I actually took did I ever tell you guys I took fitness walking in college? That's you have actually that's a shoot. I took fitness walking. It was awesome. It was like a nine AM class. Show up hungover as fuck. And then like you would just be given a route to walk. And then like the instructor was so cool, like they'd meet you halfway with like an ice cream like thing or like a bottle of water it's like the perfect hangover class you just walk out in the fresh cool spring air it was like four weeks long i wish it was all four years was it a pass fail class yes of course it was (laughs) (laughs) i passed with flying colors but it was it was awesome fitness walking is legitimately on my college transcripts good stuff can't beat that especially when you're hungover as fuck it prepped you for your uh, career as a, as a podcast international star. podcast superstar. Yeah. That's right. All the walking I do from the, <laughs> to the keg, back to the seat, from the keg, back to the seat. It prepared you for that night that you walked home with us in the snow. Yeah. yeah. Speed See, that's what he, he thought he was back in class. <laughs> There's legitimately a reason right. why you guys couldn't keep up. You were not educated on, on fitness walking. 
I showed we you were that. drunk walking at three in the morning. That's why <laughs> I can guarantee you there were a few classes I was still very drunk for when I was in them. <laughs> I probably reeked of booze. That's probably why she changed it to an outdoor class. So she's like, I'm not going to smell this fucko anymore. <laughs> Comes in here every day smelling like Crown Royal and Natty Light. <laughs> We weren't drinking Crown Royal. We couldn't afford Crown Royal back then. Yeah. Natty Light, whenever a fucking cheap whiskey Walmart sells. Ugh, terrible. What's that vodka? Orloff? Yeah, there's that one. That's there's not even real vodka, though. That's like Kamchatka. 42 proof vodka. Kamchatka. Kamchatka. Is that what it is? Kamchatka? Kamchatka. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> it's just like rubbing alcohol diluted with gallons of water. It's really bad. Yeah. 110's one I always think of. Vodka? Mm-hmm. I don't know that one. I don't either. I know Orloff and Kamchatka. Uh, you got to go to like the convenience store for that. <laughs> it's like just a, a fifth or whatever. Push just... aside the Mad Dog 2020 and grab <laughs> that little vodka. Yeah. But those are all 42 proof vodka. Like that's not even real vodka because you can't sell that without a liquor license in Ohio. Well, right. But in college when you don't give a mm, fuck. Gross, like, man. You're just ripping shots of that. I guess. Play beer pong. Just get some schnapps. It's the same thing. I played beer pong one night where... You had like your ten cups, but then like in the in one of the cups, you would dump in a shot of that cheap Ugh, vodka. So terrible. That when you, but so but you wouldn't tell the other team what it was. Oh. So that when they hit it, you had to you know drink it or whatever. <laughs> not good. No, in a word, two words, not good. I'm googling one ten real quick to see what the proof is on this. Should they sell that at your shitty pizza place down in Steubenville? No, but they sold it at the convenient not far from there. <laughs> They had a deal worked out. Sell all this shit and then they'll come eat our pizza. <laughs> Free fifth of fake vodka when you buy your uncooked pizza. I wonder if we could have stole, stood outside, Dave, and literally sold frozen pizzas out of the back of our car. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. It says it's 110 proof. Wow. From a convenience store? You can't store? buy that at a convenience store. Unless they had their liquor license. Down, maybe, they, maybe they had their liquor license, but he only went to like the cheap part. Down there you can. I guess mm. yeah. that's lawless down there. <laughs> yeah. That's true. The home of Tracy Lords, you know, all the famous people come from there. I don't yeah. know who, who did you say? Tracy Lords, uh, Dean Martin, Dean. and Ian. Yep, three f- most famous people from Steubenville, I don't know Ohio. Who Tracy Lords. I wasn't the, born there. Let's be clear about that. I'm not, I don't want to put myself on it like that. <laughs> she's, uh, I think she's my age. She was a porn star that did a bunch of movies when she was 15 so they oh when she got caught they had to remove all the movies became illegal damn back in the 80s i want to say and now those videos are all 100 percent available online anywhere you look mm, i don't think so no. no they got them they can't you can't watch those anymore who uh wu-tang isn't the rizza from steubenville one of them is rizza did live in steubenville for yeah. a while that's oh, i forgot about that yeah. Well, so Ian only lived in Steubenville for a while as well. So if you're going to say Ian's from Steubenville, then Rizza's from Steubenville. You're on par with the Rizza. That's fucking cool as hell. Me, Dean Martin, the Rizza, and who was, what's her name? Tracy Tracy Lord. It's the Mount Rushmore of Steubenville. (laughs) And then a a shitty cold slice of pizza. (laughs) And a bottle of 110 vodka. (laughs) I'm moving there tomorrow. Sounds like a great fucking place. First live show, Steubenville. (laughs) Recommend you bring your own pizza or just like a Lunchable. Same thing. So all that stuff that we went through, that's kind of a a brief overview of like a backdrop to, to all these murders, all the Jack the Ripper murders. I think it's good. It paints the picture. I like that. Good intro, Ian. Thank you. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Part two and a half next week. The other thing 
when you watch a lot of things about Jack the Ripper, or at least things that I saw, it was like kind of hit or miss. A lot of them start off with the canonical five and then don't even talk about Emma Smith and the stuff we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. But I figured it's probably best to just hit every detail that we possibly can without making this go forever. So the first murder is the murder of Emma Smith, and she's not considered to be a victim of Jack the Ripper, but she is the first name to appear in the Whitechapel murders file that would go on to contain Jack the Ripper victims. Do some people still believe she was one of his victims? It's just accepted she wasn't. Yeah, it's just accepted that she wasn't. Emma's life prior to her murder on April 4th, 1888 is pretty much unknown besides that she was born in 1843. Police files were recorded during the investigation, but most of these have gone missing or thrown away from the police archive before there was a public records office set up. In surviving records, Walter Dew, a detective, later wrote, Her past was a closed book even to her intimate friends. All she ever told anyone about herself was that she was a widow who more than 10 years before had left her husband and broken away from all her early associations. There was something about Emma Smith which suggested that there had been a time when the comforts of life had not been denied her. There was a touch of culture in her speech, unusual in her class. Once when Emma was asked why she had broken away so completely from her old life, she replied a little wistfully, They would not understand now any more than they understood then. I must live somehow. At the time of Emma's death, she was living in a lodging house at 18 George Street, Spitalfields, in the East End of London. She was brutally assaulted at the crossing of Osborne Street and Brick Lane, Whitechapel, in the early hours of Tuesday, April 3rd, 1888. She survived the attack and somehow managed to walk back to her lodging house. She told the keeper, Mary Russell, that she was attacked by two or three men, and one of them was a teenager around 19 years old. Mary Russell and one of the other lodgers, Annie Lee, took Emma to the London hospital, where she was treated by house surgeon George Haslip. She fell into a coma and died the next day at 9 a.m. Records that also survived time from Detective Edmund Reed said the following. Emma Elizabeth Smith, 18 George Street, Spitafields, son and daughter living in Finsbury Park area. She had lodged at the above address for about 18 months, paying four cents per night for her bed. She was in the habit of leaving at about 6 or 7 p.m. and returning at all hours, usually drunk. On the night of April 2nd, 1888, she was seen talking to a man who was dressed in dark clothes and was wearing a white scarf at 12.15 a.m. on the 3rd. She returned to her lodgings between 4 and 5 a.m. She had been assaulted and robbed in Osborne Street near Coca Factory. At London Hospital, she was attended to by Mr. George Haslett, house surgeon. She died at 9 a.m. on the 4th. The inquest was held by the coroner, Wynne Baxter, at the hospital. The first the police knew of this attack was from the coroner's office, who reported in the usual manner to the 6th inspector that the inquest would be held on the 7th inspector, Chief Inspector West attended. None of the PCs in that area had heard or seen anything at all, and the streets were said to be quiet at the time. The offense had been committed on the pathway opposite the 10th Brick Lane, about 300 yards from 18 George Street, and half a mile from the London Hospital to which the deceased walked. She would have passed a number of PCs en route, 
but none was informed of the incident or asked to render assistance. The peritoneum had been penetrated by a blunt instrument, thrust up the woman's passage, and peritonitis set in, which caused death. She was 45 years old, 5 foot 2, complexion fair, hair light brown, scar on right temple, no description of men. This is from Edmund Reed, Inspector. That report at the end briefly talks about Emma's injuries, but they, they were brutal. She was severely beaten. Her right ear was almost completely torn off, and she was raped with some kind of blunt object, which caused severe damage to her internal organs that ultimately led to her death. God, but to be able to walk to the hospital or to walk home from that? Yeah, right. Yeah. It takes a lot of uh, will, willpower. Probably because of how brutal the crime was. Newspapers didn't just ignore Emma's murder as another crime against a sex worker. The Worcestershire Chronicle wrote, Seldom, writes a lady in a London contemporary, has a more hideously sordid story of a woman's career been unrolled than was that of Emma Smith. Robbed, outraged, and wounded unto death under circumstances of exceptional brutality by a gang of ruffians while she was staggering home, the worse for drink down a by street between Whitechapel and Spitafields after a bank holiday spree. It was a terrible end to a terrible life. The home was a common four-penny lodging house. She had not corresponded with nor seen a relation for 10 years. It seems scarcely possible to believe that a woman could fall to such depths of degradation, and yet she is no more than a typical example of those who patronize the foul haunts of these fearful houses, where drinking, fighting, and all other loathsome vices are the pastime of the poor wretches who can raise two shillings a week for the accommodation they get within their forted walls. A woman's mission to these houses would have awful scope of sin and misery to cope with. Are there no brave and pure souls who could take up such a work? God damn. It's depressing. Mm-hmm. And no one was ever charged with Emma's murder and no witnesses ever came forward. So uh, then as now, it's easy to prey on, you know, marginalized women. It's Nothing's changed, really. No. For the I mean, most part. It's the serial killer M.O. Yeah. For, for a lot of it. Absolutely. And people mainly don't think this is a Jack the Ripper one. First, based off the fact that there were three people involved. You know, she was pretty adamant about that fact. Yeah. Um, and there were no no wounds to her that would have would suggest a Jack the Ripper crime. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, 
relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, better H-E-L-P dot com slash necro. The next murder that's included in the file and shows up in the timeline is the murder of Martha Tabram. Her murder was linked to Jack the Ripper by investigators at the time, but researchers and historians don't think that she was one of his victims. This is based on the difference in wounds Martha suffered compared to known Jack the Ripper victims. She was born Martha White on May 10th, 1849 in the South Bourke district of South London. In May of 1865, her father abandoned the family, which caused extreme hardship financially. In her late teens, Martha met and began living with a guy named Henry Samuel Tabram. And on Christmas Day, 1869, they got married. They had two kids together and things were pretty good until Martha began drinking heavily. Her drinking led to Henry leaving her and taking the kids in 1875. A couple years later, sources put it at 1879, Martha met William Turner and started living with him. Over the next few years, they moved to the east end of London, where they lived between rented rooms and the common lodging houses. William Turner was a carpenter, but was unable to find work, so the two made a living selling random odds and ends on the streets. As far as anyone who knew them, everyone thought that they were husband and wife, and she was known in the area as Martha Turner. Because that gets a little muddy when you look into her. There's a lot of different last names Mm. she's known by. Speaking of carpenters, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Yeah. Everybody's boss. It's a bumper sticker on my car. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. (laughs) Ian, it's Jesus. Uh, Yeah, I guess Jesus. (laughs) It took me a second. What the fuck are you talking about? I looked at Ian and he was like, wait, what's he mean? Where is he going with this? (laughs) More of that on patreon.com. $10 tier. Bible babble with your pal Dave. We'll talk about it extensively. (laughs) (laughs) Those are bumper stickers, isn't it? My boss is a Jewish carpenter. (laughs) Fucking stupid. Martha's drinking was still an issue. And I mean, I actually forgot that I even typed this in the outline because it's been so long since I read it. But honestly, I would be blackout drunk at all times if I lived in the East End of London at this time. I would be living in an opium den. It sounds like just the worst existence you could imagine. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Like, absolutely. I would be out getting drunk every night. Uh, But this caused her and William to separate multiple times. In these times that they weren't living together, Martha resorted to working as a sex worker to make money. According to William Turner, he last saw Martha alive on the afternoon of Saturday, August 4th, 1888, 
when he met her to discuss money. She told him that she had run out of money, so he gave her one shilling and and sixpence so she could buy some food. He said that their meeting lasted around 20 minutes, and after he gave her the money, he left, and that was the last time he would see her alive. Martha's body would be found in the early hours of August 7th, 1888. However, the investigation into her death attempted to retrace her steps from the evening before. That evening, she met with a friend and sex worker, Mary Ann Conley, and the two went drinking together. Marianne gave conflicting accounts of what they did that night, which made it hard for investigators to get an accurate timeline of how that night went down. She told police that they met in a pub at 11 p.m. and drank in that pub until 11.45 p.m. However, she told the inquest into Martha's death that they had gone drinking in several pubs around the area beginning at 10 p.m. that night. It's also worth noting that anyone who knew Martha said that they had never heard of Marianne before, and Marianne referred to Martha as Emma, which none of her friends knew her as Emma, or why the, why she would be called Emma. she making this up? Getting a spotlight here? Reward money? Something? Yeah, it doesn't seem accurate. Not at all. Wasn't the prior victim's name Emma? Yeah. Mm. What's going on here, Mike? Mm. Okay. I'll let you know <laughs> Fair when, enough. I, when I finish my investigation of this. <laughs> At 11 p.m., Martha was seen entering the White Swan Pub on Whitechapel High Street by her sister-in-law, Ann Morris, and according to Ann's testimony, Martha was by herself. It's possible that Martha met Marianne in the White Swan, and they either stayed there or left to drink at other pubs in the area. Maybe. Mm, The plot thickens. You know, our friend Mercedes from the the band Kitty, her new band, her, her current band's name is the White Swan. Is it named after this pub? I, don't I know. wonder. Jack the Ripper aficionado. <laughs> Maybe it is a, an, an ode too. Could you investigate that, Mike, and get back to us? Mm-hmm. Let us know. Thanks. On it right now. Back to Mary Ann's account of this. She said that they met with two soldiers, a corporal and a private, and the men bought multiple drinks for them. At around midnight, the four left the pub and walked along Whitechapel High Street, where they then split into couples at the entrance to George Yard. Towards the beginning of the George Yard Alley, on the left, were a block of apartments known as George Yard Buildings. When its staircase lights were off by 11 p.m., the area was pitch black, which made them a good spot for sex workers and their clients. That's the other thing to kind of note. When when these lights went out in Whitechapel in these areas, like legit pitch black like there is no no light. electricity there right. yeah. there's nothing so it's wild obviously that keeps it safe yeah lawless area <laughs> yeah, right. w- with literally no light mm-hmm. at all that's what mike had in common with the johns from back then neither of them <laughs> could find the clip <laughs> one because it was pitch black and two because the pubic hair was probably just overgrown so much that oh, they couldn't get to the clip come on <laughs> where's our mutual friend at <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now we're crossing lines. That's so... Oh. Everybody loves that pubic hair. He wants to oh, see big hairy oh. bushes. Nobody wants that. <laughs> Got a trim. Come on. It's uncalled for. New shirt. But back then... New shirt, our mutual friend. Dot, dot, dot. Do you remember the movie Waiting where the, the girl at the of end, like, course. that big bush popped out of the table? There's, like, like fuzz in it and all that shit. That's there. what Victorian prostitutes or Victorian sex workers look like. Big bushes like that. 
They couldn't find the clit either, Mike. Don't feel bad. Couldn't get in there. Yeah. It's like going to look for Bigfoot in the woods. You want to find it and believe it exists, but it really doesn't. So good luck. <laughs> so Ian's like, how do I get this back on track? Like, what do I? He's like, what? You see all the professionalism in his being to be like, what? Here we go. At 1.40 a.m., Joseph and Elizabeth Mahoney, who lived at 37 George Yard buildings, got home, and almost immediately, Elizabeth left to buy dinner from a local shop on Thrall Street. At 1.40 a.m., good time for dinner. Sure. Well, you know, if we live in a real city like New York, Dave, I mean, places are open nonstop. It's true. We could right now just order Philly cheesesteaks cheesesteak sandwiches, maybe not Philly, New York cheesesteaks, hot dogs, burgers, fries, have it delivered right here, right now. I love New York. Three three o'clock in the morning, just go to the, go wherever. Yeah. Everything is open. Meanwhile, literally, I'm going to go home and have Hot Pockets, (laughs) you know, or something. (laughs) Ian will have a sponge. Dave might have a can of SpaghettiOs if he doesn't pass out or go to sleep because we have no options. It's true. So we don't have any options. This is not New York. We're in suburban hell out here with no options. The fuck? How did we end up here? Well, that's we've talked about this. New York's the only major city I think I've never been to. It is. I've been to Chicago, L.A., Miami, Houston. I would like to go to San Antonio as well. I hear San Antonio is a good time. It's really warm. Yeah. Well, it's Texas. I was moving furniture. That's right. There, oh, like yeah. years and years ago, when I was a young man, and it was 120. And oh, was it like the middle of summer? It was like being in hell. Yeah, like hellscape, hell. Worse than Florida, though. Had you been in Florida at the same time, do you feel as if it mm. would have been greater, less than, or equal to? Florida probably would be worse because the humidity yeah. would be worse. Yeah. yeah, but 120 degrees oh. moving furniture for 12 hours a day Fuck in San that. Antonio. It's not not great. We were not built for manual labor. I am definitely not built for manual labor. I'm 100% not. When I was a young man, I could handle it, but no more. Oh, I've never been built for. (laughs) My boss, Jesus, said, oh, you're going to IT or something. (laughs) You ain't going to be a carpenter with me, Pally. You're in sales or something. You're in sales. I get anxiety walking into Home Depot. Cause they're going to start asking me questions and I'm like, motherfucker, I'm just like, I Talk had to a, my wife, I had a pee. I'm just, looking, I'm just looking for a bathroom. Like, where do I go pee? Like, I, I don't know. My wife might know the answer to that. I'm not sure. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have the answers for that kind of thing. <laughs> I went there the other day, you and I bought, I was so proud of myself. I needed a good uh, sweeping broom for like my driveway. <laughs> Got that. Fucking like, oh, good, good bristles here. Yeah. He's like talking to the Home Depot guy. Uh, are, th- are these good bristles? Oh. I like a good bristle on my broom. Uh, these bristles are a quarter of a centimeter thick because I found that the half centimeter thick is just is not what quite what I'm looking for. So I'm looking for I have a heavy duty driveway. It needs a thick bristle. <laughs> The guy's like, yeah, I'm selling lumber and people that are building houses. You can fucking buy whatever broom you want, pussy. He's like, vagina checkout at uh, number eight. (laughs) She got back with their food about five minutes later. Although she passed the spot where Martha's body would later be found, she said that she saw nothing, but did say that Martha's body could have been lying there because it was too dark for her to notice. Around 2 a.m., Police Constable Thomas Barrett was walking by, and as he passed the entrance into George Yard, he noticed a soldier hanging out there. Barrett told him it was way past time. He needed to report back to barracks, and the soldier replied that he was waiting for another soldier who went with a woman to one of the buildings. 
Barrett pretty much told him to not hang around too much longer and then went on his way patrolling the area. He's like, look here, copper. My mate is shagging a dolly wop. <laughs> I looked up Victorian slang for prostitutes at dolly wop. So that's that's where that came from. Interesting. Dolly wop. We also just learned about poly wop tonight. See? Off air. How about that? Dolly wop. Look at us. Dolly wops and poly wops. <laughs> I think they go hand in hand. Actually. Dolly mop. Oh, dolly mop. Dolly mop. Well, a poly wop goes with a dolly mop. <laughs> I think it's that uh, a kind do- sir. <laughs> I think a dolly is a penis, so it's kind of like mopping up a penis or something. Maybe dolly mm. mop. There's some look here, copper. There's some holes in this house. Do you think like wasn't it a corporal and a private that were out and they met the girls? Yeah. Like, do you think the corporal's like telling the private like you you gotta shag the ugly one? <laughs> look here, governor. You're getting the ugly one. I'm a corporal. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do if you're the private, yeah. right? At 3.30 a.m., 21-year-old Alfred George Crow, who was a cab driver, returned to his home in George Yard Buildings. As he was going up the stairs, he noticed someone lying on the floor of the first floor landing. But because he often found people sleeping on the landings, he didn't pay much attention and was unable to say whether it was a man or a woman or whether the person was alive or dead. What's a cab driver driving? Like a horse-drawn carriage? I guess so, yeah. So? Oh, Rolls Royce? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think the first car was right around then, but I don't think they had them in the east end of London yet. Yeah, there's no Probably cars in Whitechapel. <laughs> Probably not the first place you're going to show up. Uh-uh. Around 4.45 a.m., John Saunders Reeves left his apartment on the top floor and came down the stairs. He also noticed someone lying on the landing... But now it was getting light and he was able to see that it was a woman who was lying on her back in a pool of blood. Martha was stabbed 39 times from her throat to her lower abdomen. Medical examiner Dr. Killian later told the inquest that the killer had used two different blades. The majority of the wounds having been caused by a pocket knife while a deep wound to her breast had been caused by quote some long strong instrument which could have been a sword bayonet or dagger. Also, Dr. Killian was certain that Martha didn't recently have sex, ruling out rape as a motive for murder. Oh, those pocket pocket knife wounds just remind me of something you see like in a prison stabbing movie. Yeah. They just come up on your neck and just... Yeah. Brutal. Except theirs is made out of like a whittled down toothbrush. Yeah, right. It's excessive, 39 times. The first thing for investigators was to find the identity of the soldier who... Constable Barrett had talked to at the entrance into George Yard. Uh, Inspector Edmund Reed took Barrett to the Tower of London, where a large portion of soldiers were based, and several soldiers were brought in before him, but he was unable to identify any of them as being the man that he had questioned. They returned to the tower the next day, and this time he picked out two men, but Barrett changed his mind and said that he had been wrong about the first man, who was then allowed to leave. The other man, whose name was John Leary, was able to give a full account of his movements on the night of the murder, and on his account being corroborated by another soldier, whose name was John Law, he was dropped as a suspect. Wasn't me, wanka. I was home playing with my Pekka the whole (laughs) night. Wanking. Martha's murder was ruled as murder by an unknown person, and no one was ever charged. After her death, this would begin a series of five murders known as the Canonical Five. 
The name Canonical Five was used to tell them apart from a number of other women who were murdered in the area during the same general time period. All five of these murders, no doubt, were done by the same person. Police surgeon Thomas Bond said, quote, all five murders, no doubt, were committed by the same hand. I wonder if he took inspiration from the first two and was like, hmm, seems pretty easy to get away with killing women in this neighborhood. Something yeah. I'd like to try. Let me, let me get on that. People theorize, you know, they um, like people don't believe that Martha's death, that her murder was a Jack the Ripper one because the uh, the wounds don't... Um, it don't match, match up. up. Right. Yeah. Like the other way, he got the name Jack the Ripper because he really like slashing wounds and really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw some other arguments that people that think that she was his first victim. Mm. So that, it's still debated then. Yeah, that one. Martha's is still debated and people make the argument for hers being a part of uh, hers being a Jack the Ripper murder because a lot of times serial killers kind of stumble into the fact that they like killing someone Mm. or their first kill is real frenzied and then like not what they land on doing. So people say like the, the 39 stab wounds was something like a frenzied attack and just like kind of getting in the door of, Oh wait, I I like doing this. Let me hone my craft. And like, it could have Mm. been a robbery that went wrong and he ended up stabbing her a bunch of times, something like Gacy. Remember, he thought that that kid was going to rob him right? when he had the knife and he ended up killing that he's kid. He's like, oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah, he's like, oh, this is great. This is what I've been looking to do yeah, for yeah. a long time. Okay, that makes sense. Do you guys remember that one time that that uh, bloodied up man walked through a burger shop in West Memphis not long after those kids were killed and then there was no follow-up? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. That was a thing that happened. And then some kids <laughs> sat in jail for 20 years? Yeah, yeah I remember that. Okay. Because the police railroaded them. God yeah, damn. I remember that story. <laughs> because well, they had black t-shirts. Wait yeah, a minute. That was they, not great. They wore black. What? They wore black. They wore black. Yes. Black t-shirts. It's a telltale sign. You worship uh, the devil. Yeah. Well, they also listened to you 2 I mean, stop me when I'm wrong here. <laughs> devil worshiping. Devil worshiping. Have you ever heard the song Beautiful Day? Is that not satanic worship at its best? <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> You, you got me there. I, I don't even have a comeback, strangely enough. With or without you? Yeah, that means the devil. <laughs> Still haven't found what I'm looking for? Because you're looking for Satan. Obviously. That you're ca- See, you get, get it. it now. Sunday, so, bloody Sunday, when you're sacrificing I, babies to the devil. Sure, speaks for sure. itself. Okay. I see where you're going with this. This one, you know, all 97 parts of our West Memphis 3 available in the archives. That might be the only good U2 song, in my opinion. Which one? Sunday Bloody Sunday? Mm-hmm. What's my favorite U2 song? Hmm. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. I kind of like. I don't know. I don't listen to a lot of U2, though. I, I just know, like, the big either. hits. Like, I don't know deep cuts or anything like that. What's that album that Sunday Bloody Sunday's on? I couldn't Isn't that called Sunday Bloody Sunday? Or what's uh, their, their tree al- album? Joshua Tree. Joshua. I thought the, the one before that, though, like, when they were still more... Indie, no? I don't remember. I mean, no. We're going off on something we can't we can't even <laughs> we can't even we're not qualified to, to discuss here. Someone so. listening right now is like these motherfuckers. <laughs> I own everything you two put out. That's right. And these fucks. But still. Some of that earlier stuff, I just did, you know, it escapes me. Yeah. I've never been big into YouTube. No. I don't hate no. them. I know some people hate YouTube and they're all against them. 
but <laughs> just nah. not my thing. I don't, you know. People got all pissed right. when they did that thing with Apple, where like it automatically downloaded yeah, the I was, album. I was not happy with that. No, no, no. I didn't. All. I just That's... deleted it all. How was that? The unforgettable fire. Is that it? Yeah, I don't. I know. still. I could never. Tell sure. Me. Yeah, that's it, Dave. You got it. Good job. I just noticed Ian's drinking Perrier water over there. It's yeah, pretty yeah. fancy. That's all I had at the gas station. I'm a Pellegrino guy myself, but Perrier's okay. Yeah, I needed something flavored. And they had it was lime or uh, blueberry something. No, something. You made the right call. Yeah, something weird. I'm you like, made yeah. the right call. It's like, I'm not drinking that shit. Yeah. Mm-mm. Fucking pinkies up when you drink that though. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> So getting to the first murder on the Canonical Five, Marianne Nichols was born Marianne Walker on August 26, 1845. There's no information on her early life other than at some point during her teenage years, she became involved with a boy of the same age by the name of Thomas Stewart Drew. They broke up in 1863 when she met a guy named William Nichols. On January 16th, 1864, at 18 years old, Mary got married to William Nichols. William eventually left Mary for another woman, which resulted in Mary turning to alcohol and occasionally working as a sex worker. By October of 1887, Mary was homeless and sleeping in what was truly a lawless area called Trafalgar Square. The square had been that way for years, but on October 23rd, police commissioner Sir Charles Warren signed an order to vacate the square and whoever was still there were to be arrested and charged with, quote, wandering abroad with any visible means of sustenance without fuck without any visible means of sustenance. On the morning of October 25th, many people were arrested for not leaving, including Marianne Nichols. Now it's a major sightseeing destination with monuments and everything. Yeah. So maybe like Skid Row in L.A. one day will be a made, you know, sightseeing destination. Although I suspect it is probably one today. So I, I think oh, people go is. visit Skid Row when they when they visit. I LA. mean, it, it was actually on my list of something yeah. I would want to see. <laughs> well, it's yeah. because you wanted to stay at the Cecil Hotel. I would also do that if and when <laughs> those renovations ever end. Yeah. Someday. Technically, it's not closed. We've had this argument before. <laughs> technically, it's not. What, it's not the Cecil, though. What it's is not it? open, the though. The stay on May. No, it's not. Yeah. Because technically, it's closed <laughs> while they're renovating it. Yeah. We'll see. By early August 1888, Mary Ann moved into Wilmot's, which was a female-only common lodging house located at 18th Rawl Street. Here, she was known to the other people living there as Polly. She shared a room with three other women, and one of them was an elderly lady named Emily Holland. Emily would later remember Mary as having been, quote, a very clean woman who kept to herself, quote, as if she was melancholy and who, quote, gave her the impression she was being weighed down by some trouble. Emily also stated that Mary, quote, never used to be fond of men, adding, quote, I don't think that she was a fast woman. Not a fast woman. So we're clear. Noted. (laughs) The evening of August 29th, 1888, into the early morning hours of August 30th would be the last evening that Mary was seen alive. She went to the frying pan pub at the corner of Thrall Street and Brick Lane. Mary finished a drink and then walked along Thrall Street to the Wilmots. However, since she didn't have four pence to pay for her bed, she was told by the deputy keeper that she couldn't stay there. Now, this is going to be a big thing um, in like the later social reform that I was reading about. 
the fact that she was turned away and what's going to happen here in a bit caused the whole thing with politics and okay. social reform. That's with, good, I guess. With telling people that they can't stay somewhere. You know who could have been helped by that? Mary and Joseph when they were turned away and they had to sleep in the stable to have baby Jesus. Here, here. <laughs> the Savior yep. and the Son of Man should not have been born in a stable. Just my opinion. Yeah. Should have been at the Ritz. Only they were given a place. Yeah. Or at least the embassy suites. Joseph could have snuck away for that manager special. Right? <laughs> Got himself a free wine and beer yeah. hour, five to seven. And- get himself a cocktail before <laughs> he goes and helps birth the son of man. It's like, Jesus, the Lord banged my wife. Now I got to be stepdad. At least I get a free fucking beer. <laughs> Not sleep in a stable. Is anybody working my this bastard son? <laughs> Why was there no embassy? <laughs> Why? You fucked my wife, God, and now what do I have? Everyone thinks she's a whore. I'm in a stable with donkeys and goats. <laughs> More on that on Bible Babble with your pal Dave. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Trying to swallow my drink without spitting it out. It's <laughs> good stuff. Virgin Mary, my ass! I knew it was coming. There was more. (laughs) (laughs) Mary was wearing a bonnet that none of the other residents had ever seen her with before. And this was to attract men because she was going to turn back to being a sex worker again to make more money. As she left Wilmot, she turned back to the deputy keeper and told him, quote, I'll soon get my DOS money. See what a jolly bonnet I've got now. So. Jo- jolly right. Yeah. I looked it up. DOS money is like lodging money for the night. Like bed money? Yeah. Like rent money. Yeah. For the night. Mm-hmm. So guys were going to see that bonnet and be like, oh. I must have you. Yeah. Higher end. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and then charge higher for that too then, right? Yeah. At 2.30 a.m., Emily Holland was walking and turned onto Osborne Street, where she ran into Mary, who was drunk and staggering towards her. Mary stopped and bragged to Emily that she had made her lodging money more than three times, but had spent it all. <laughs> what? <laughs> Maybe beer? Alcohols? Or, yeah. I guess. Maybe yeah. she did a weed? Shouldn't have done a weed. I went up to a guy the other day, and I was like, can I have a weed? And he's like, yeah, $400. So I gave it to him. <laughs> For one weed, uh, but you can't negotiate with weed dealers like uh-huh. they around the street. So what are you gonna do? Was it a good weed at least? Yeah, it was. I had like a little yellow flower at the end, but I just <laughs> cut that off. If you cut that off, you can still smoke it. So sounds like a good weed. I've. I mean, it was the prettier the better, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what are you gonna do? <laughs> they name their price sometimes. <laughs> Emily was worried for Mary because she was obviously blown out drunk and talking about how she spent all the money that she had made. Emily tried to talk her into going back to Wilmot's with her uh, and told her that she would pay for her bed. Mary refused the offer and said, quote, it won't be long before I'll be back. Mary then stumbled along Whitechapel Road and Emily went back to Wilmot's. 
At 3.30 a.m., Charles Cross left his house to go to work, where he was employed as a delivery driver. Walking along Brady Street, he turned into Bucks Row, which was an alley, and approached the 1876 board school when he noticed a dark object lying on the opposite side of the street. Cross went to see what it was, and as he got closer, he realized that it was a woman who was either dead or drunk, and he stopped walking forward. He stood there for a minute, trying to like take this in, like, if this is a dead woman, what to do. And as he's standing there, a co-worker, Robert Paul, came walking up. Cross told Robert to come with him to see if the woman was dead or if she was just drunk. The two men walked over to see the woman lying on her back, her legs were straight out, and her skirt was raised almost over her waist. Charles Cross reached out and touched her face, which was warm, but her hands were cold and limp. Robert Paul placed his hand on the woman's chest and thought that he felt slight movement. Robert suggested that they sit the woman up, but Cross refused to touch her again. Because they were now late for work, they pulled her skirts back down to her knees to cover her, and they agreed to tell the first police officer they saw because this was how like, very good Samaritan of them. Well, this was this was uh, from what I was reading into this because I really and I chopped down all these accounts too. These all these accounts of these murders are very very detailed, and I mm-hmm. just kind of chopped it down. This was like re- it was really hard to get a job. So yeah, we're, yeah we're, fuck up. They were like, yeah. well, okay, we're late already. You're right. We gotta yeah. go. So at least That's we unfair. can do. I yeah. guess we'll just pull her, her skirts down, and, and we'll tell the first cop we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get it. Shortly after, police constable John Neal discovered Mary's body, and about this, he said, "I had been round there half an hour previously and saw no one. Then I was on the right side when I noticed a figure lying in the street. It was dark at the time. I examined the body by the aid of my lamp and noticed blood oozing from a wound in the throat." She was lying on her back with her clothes disarranged. I felt her arm, which was quite warm from the joints upwards. Her eyes were wide open. Her bonnet was off and lying at her side. He called for a medical examiner and Dr. Llewellyn arrived at around 4 a.m. And the first thing he noticed was that Mary's throat had been slit so deep that she was almost decapitated. And we know what that looks like from Nicole Brown Simpson. Yeah. Well, I don't because I've not looked at those photos and I will not. Yeah, the crime scene photos enough from that one were enough to make me say I'm not going to search any harder for these. Yeah, terrible. Like I, you know, this John Bonet ones, Ian. You were like, yeah, don't look at those. If, and I have not. I don't need to see that shit. When Mary's body was lifted into the police ambulance, which was just like a, a just a cart, you know, with horses pulling it, Doctor Llewellyn noticed that the back of Mary's clothing was soaked with blood which he thought had run down from the neck wound. He also noticed blood underneath her body, which was around six inches in diameter. The small amount of blood found at the scene, along with the fact that no one heard anything, led to the thought that the murder happened somewhere else and that her body was dumped in this spot. Because for her head to almost be decapitated, there should have been way more blood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At the morgue on closer inspection, it was discovered that under her clothing was a deep gash that ran all the way along Mary's abdomen, and she had been disemboweled. But that word disemboweled is just terrible. It's an ugly word. Especially since they did that, you know, back in the Middle Ages to people that were still alive. Yeah. Can you imagine getting disemboweled while you're still alive? No. Oof. Not great. Mm Mm-mm. 
in my opinion, not great. You guys might like it, but I, I really don't like it. <laughs> it's not my kink. No. <laughs> Whenever I hear the word disemboweled, I think of William Wallace. Yeah. That's the first exactly. thing. Exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. And he was there a torture thing at that time that he did not face like before he was killed? Yeah. And I just mean to say, like, he had everything done to him. Still managed to yell freedom, though. Am I right? Hey. Boom. Freedom. Academy, Academy Award. <laughs> Police immediately called Dr. Llewellyn to tell him about this newly discovered about the newly discovered injuries. But before he could get there, two workers stripped the body and began to wash it and then dumped the clothing in a pile of dirty linen that was just out in the like the yard area of the morgue. So it was just like out in the elements. The coroner would later criticize the police for allowing this to happen. And the police were adamant that they had given instructions that the body was not to be touched until Dr. Llewellyn could conduct a full and detailed examination. And with that major fuck up, we will pick back up on part two. Hey, it ain't CSI fucking Miami, dude, right? Yeah. 1888 London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> fuck ups were happening all the way back in the 1800s. Um, so in part two, we'll continue to cover the canonical five killings and get into the first of the letters from Jack the Ripper. A lot of letters. I did that. Something I didn't know. How many letters were? Well, we'll save it for next week. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good bit of letters. No All giveaways. Right. All right. Come back next week. I don't week. even know how many letters there were. Peep that download button and you can find out. <laughs> <laughs> As the kids say. I like learning more in depth about these stories that, you know, you've been reading and hearing about your whole life or yeah you just take for granted You're like ah, oh, jack the rubber killed five people blah blah blah. but i like to hear the yeah the we, backstory we all came it's interesting knowing he killed five people <laughs> i knew that obviously mike's like jack the who i, I knew jack the ripper i honestly didn't know there was only five attributed but i'm gonna learn more can't wait to turn in next week maybe five maybe there's a hundred we don't know there's definitely there's more than five on the uh there's a lot more suspected see that's why you tune in each and every week i find it really interesting um like the women when we were going through where it said like not much is known about her early mm -hmm. life but then there's like these some details about that she had a boyfriend and stuff like i found that really interesting yeah. that kind of stuff is yeah. cool all right we got some patron shout outs at, Woo! we got some patron shout outs yep couple weeks off shit blows up i guess that's not a bad thing People want to hear the b -b -b bonus episodes. There's a lot of good content on there. God damn. And they want to hear Bible Babble, Mike. I think so. That's what they when want. When your boss is a Jewish carpenter, you want to hear Bible Babble. You give thanks to the Lord in the sum of $10 a month to <laughs> patreon.com slash Necronomicon. <laughs> the blood of Jesus. That is the best fucking sound clip ever. Uh, all right. Let me get into this. You guys can go ahead and, you know, take a snooze. We got a lot to get through. But thank you very much. Uh, shout outs to new patrons. We have Travis Stromston, Lottie Ridgers, Jordan Stanley, Christina Winters, That's Malarkey, Tongue Punching Sasquatch Fart Box. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I apologize. Some of these didn't translate over from the way you guys typed them. Uh, Andre Arfaja, Emily Gum Gombardella, Josh Hardman. Krista Angus, Kaylee Petty, or Callie Petty, Brittany Larson, Elijah, Kyle Kirk, Gabrielle Donetta, Alex Powers, David, Pterodactyl, Jillian Brooks, Mike Hunt, 88, Meadow, Gabrielle, 
Victor Martinez, James Gilliam, G. Cates, Terrible Joe, Carla, Matt Northrop, Dolphin Castle, Jim Bones, Jamie, Susie Mack, Grant Canaan, Stanley Mitchell, Jason Dones, Justine Fritz, Rebecca, Walnut, Chelsea Steinbeck, Damian Hawley, Did, 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 did I Stutter, Eddie, Nikki Gould, Jason Hill, Michelle Ferrara, Chase Proudfoot, Kelsey Robert, Hunt and Max Bug Fucking Team. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? It, I don't well, know. I like it. <laughs> this is a tough one. Uh, Cleric, Clerico Fevecna. Apologies. If I get any of these wrong, just message us. I'll make it right. Kit Meowza, Lucy Cavanaugh, Easy, Juliana Donald, Chelsea Dunbar, Sonia, Laura Walker, Samantha Hager, Jimmy Jams, Amanda, Alice Wall, Ryan Magani, Magahi, apologies, Ryan, My McVegetta, LH, Erica, fuck yeah, (laughs) David O'Leary, Jordan Yarberry, Jamie Larson, Lauren, question mark, Jesse Liu, Renee Aparicio, Lana Walker B, Amanda Murdoch, Haley, Lessa Lee, or Lisa Lee, maybe with an E, Robert Purrington, Mary Alice Hughes, Alex Hawkins, Eden Fuller, Jamie Malcolm, Christina M, Allie Ray, Garrett Johnson, Mario Sandeo, Stephanie Caceres, Gina Fitzgibbon, Mike the Package Man, I feel you, (laughs) Ethan C., I do butt stuff. Call Dave. <laughs> Ivan Comparin. Doggy One Lover. PJ Barker. Beastly Caker. Natalie Peralta. Kelly Lapp. Lauren. Carly McAllister. Nina Meyer. Jacob. Carmen Hackworth. Mandy Mack. Zach. Penny Wilson. Melinda Saw. Foxy Paws. Nicole Sackerman. Jesse Green. Maria Gates. Mike Elias. Nasty Nate Eggleston, Sexual Harassment Gear Bear, <laughs> Megan Duke. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Megan Duke, Corey Marlowe, Adam Pennington, Darcy Moraski, R. McDonald, John, Dave Wheeler, Melissa Kennedy, Randa, Randa Jane, Ralph Haas, Haas, Julio Valenzuela, Stevie Lanehart, Lenhart. Hillary Gibbs, Jenny, I love you, Josh, and Jessica Fassett, PL3000. Thank you very much. That's that's a long list, but it's fucking awesome that we have that many people. So appreciate you guys all. Uh, if I messed up your name, I probably did. We've been drinking for hours. That's a lot of names. Uh, shoot us a DM on Patreon with the phonetic spelling, and we will make it right next week. What do you think the Max and Hunter bug fucking team? What, the, what do you think those Dave guys has, are up to? Dave has so many questions. <laughs> Bonus show. Dave interviews Max and what is it? What Max I, and Hunter bug, bug fucking, fucking team. team. DM us on uh, Patreon. Let yeah. us know what that's all about. What's going on there, fellas? <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> like are you putting your penis in bugs? <laughs> What's going on there? Man, talk about tiny cocks. <laughs> What was the other one? Something fucking Gare Bear fuck team or something? <laughs> Sexual harassment Gare Bear. Sexual harassment Gare Bear. What is wow. that? Whew. 
He's coming stuff. out. He's just coming up like, hey, I'll harass you sexually. <laughs> also, I'm a Gare Bear. I love it. Mike yeah. Hunt, the best name in the history Mike of Hunt, names. 88 Mike or Hunt. what was that? Mike Hunt, 89? Yeah. Is it from Porky's, right? It's yeah, sure. Mike Hunt originated. Yeah. Of course. I've seen that movie. I know that joke. <laughs> Before your time, Porky's. I mean, it's a I great probably, classic I 80s, seen that movie. 80s movie. Well, there's nothing classic about 80s movies. Most of them. Anyways, that was a lot of names. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for 77 Wilco. Alp 129, Honey Badger 91, Photolita, Elephant Junkie, YVTV, Boston Mom 5, Mini Schnauzer Lover, and Diego Sasquatch 710. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. And then I have one more. This one is from Mr. Bipolar Bear. They gave us five stars, um, but they said that we are sexist, racially insensitive, homophobic dude bros who mock, laugh, victim blame their way through dark history. They're not sure why they still listen. That we're a guilty pleasure. P.S. Also a five star review. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the homophobic thing really bothers me because we've never said anything homophobic on this show before. You can say a lot of stuff about, you know. Poor taste, our jokes are in poor taste, whatever, but racially insensitive and homophobic is, uh, no, we're not going to let you slide on that one because that's just not true. I know that's a really big issue for me because I have people in my life that, uh, you know, took a long time for them to be able to get married, stuff like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, me too. I'm just going to say you don't need to, we don't need to be a guilty pleasure. Don't listen anymore. I don't want you to listen. Fuck off. I'm with you. And thanks for the five-star review. <laughs> still counts as a five-star review. All right. Good stuff. Uh, Dave, you got anything else? Um, hey, y'all. <laughs> the blood of G's. No, I'm good. The blood of Jesus. I got nothing else. All right. We appreciate you guys listening. This was part one of probably, what, seven or eight parts you don't get to? <laughs> yeah. Stick we'll with see. us. We'll I'm not promising at this point anything. We'll see. Uh, you know, this, we'll be around for a bit. I'm thinking three. All right, we'll see. You guys heard that. He's, quote, thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> quote, three. Oh, yeah. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Uh-huh. We'll see where that gets you in the end. Dig it. Um, okay. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.